problems of vitamin D deficiency. Is slathering on the sunscreen actually not such a good idea? You are listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael F. Hollick. Dr. Hollick is a PhD MD and is a professor of medicine, physiology, and biophysics. He is the director of the Bone Healthcare Clinic and the Heliotherapy Light and Skin Research Center at Boston University Medical Center. Dr. Hollick has authored over 500 scientific articles. His book is titled The UV Advantage. Today, we are discussing the impact of vitamin D deficiency. Welcome, Dr. Hollick. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Do you think that most physicians are aware of the vital role vitamin D plays in prevention and treatment of not only metabolic bone disease, but other conditions, or do we still have a lot of work to do to increase awareness? I think we have a lot of work to do to increase awareness. In fact, I think a lot of physicians actually have been getting the information from their patients because there is so much information out in the lay press about the health benefits of vitamin D. Often a patient will go to their physician and ask for a blood level of vitamin D, which we recommend it to be the 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And the physician initially would say, well, why would you want that? And hopefully we'll know what to do with it when they get the results. Exactly. And so when they do get it and they find that the patient's deficient, it's kind of like a wake-up call. And now they begin ordering it on more of their patients. Today, the assay for 25-hydroxy vitamin D is the most ordered assay in the United States by physicians. So the message is finally getting out there, but we still need to really educate all medical and healthcare professionals about this issue. And what do you say is the minimum appropriate level? I've seen anywhere from 28, 30, 32, and and much higher. Yeah, what we recommend is that everybody be above 30 nanograms per ml for their 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And I think that some of your listeners may be thinking, well, why not order the active form, which is Mm -hmm. 125-dihydroxy vitamin D, which some doctors will order. And the reason is that the active form of vitamin D is actually normal or elevated when you're vitamin D deficient. So you only want to order 25-hydroxy vitamin D, and it should be greater than 30 nanograms per ml, and up to 100 nanograms per ml is perfectly safe. And at what age should it first be measured? I think if we go back historically, vitamin D was recognized in the pediatric population with rickets, but now we're thinking of it very much as an adult problem. So at what age do you think it's appropriate to get a baseline level? It's a very good question. We estimate now that 50% of the world's population is vitamin D deficient. So if you start ordering tests on all of these people, it would overwhelm our healthcare system. So I think a much better approach is to make sure that is to follow the American Academy of Pediatrics recent recommendation that during the first year of life from when the child is born, they should be on 400 units of vitamin D a day. My recommendation for children over the age of one and all adults beyond a minimum of a 1,000 international units of vitamin D a day as a supplement, along with a multivitamin that contains 400 units of vitamin D. And particularly, you talk about patients coming and asking their doctors for this. Certainly among my patients, there's a growing movement to maintain extremely high levels of vitamin D. So when is it too much of a good thing? You know, vitamin D, of course, is fat-soluble. So when is there a concern for toxicity? Again, excellent question, and you always worry about people being over-enthusiastic about something that if a little is good, a lot is better. In the case of vitamin D, happily, you have to take more than 10,000 units a day to worry about toxicity, and typically toxicity is associated with a high blood calcium. And so, in fact, vitamin D intoxication is one of the most rarest of medical conditions. 
But with that said, my philosophy is to keep my patients between 30 and up to 100 nanograms per ml of 25-hydroxy vitamin D is perfectly safe. Does it matter if you're 35 or 55? Right now, in my opinion, there's not yet enough evidence to warrant people to worry that it be above 30 or 35 nanograms per ml. So where does this come from? I have not seen any literature to support that either, but yet I certainly have patients that come in and say, my understanding is that I need to have a level of 100 or 120. Do you know where that's coming from? Yes, I do. There are some people out there that have websites that have been promoting vitamin D for health. They're relatively new to the... Do they by any chance sell vitamin D? (laughs) Well, either they sell vitamin D, some of them do, but many of them don't, but they have various other connections that potentially they can profit from it. But sometimes, like I said, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, and so you should not be above 100 nanograms per ml. There's absolutely no evidence that it is of additional benefit. There is data, though, that if you look at, say, the Nurses' Health Study out of Harvard, one study showed that women that had a blood level of 48 nanograms per ml on average reduced their risk of developing breast cancer by 50%. So those are the kind of data that are coming out to suggest that, yeah, maybe it should be 40 or 50, but we don't know for sure whether that's absolutely true. What we do know, though, is above 30 will maximize vitamin D's effect for many health benefits. Before we get to the problems that can result from vitamin D deficiency, can you just run through the risk factors for vitamin D deficiency? Because we know that lack of sun exposure is not the only one. Sure. I mean, your major source of vitamin D, even if the dermatologists don't like hearing this, is it is your casual exposure to sunlight. Almost everybody's 25-hydroxy vitamin D level peaks at the end of the summer and is at its lowest level at the end of the winter. Major causes are obesity because the fat sequesters the vitamin D. So obese people need two to three times more vitamin D to maintain a normal vitamin D status. Mm -hmm. Patients with fat malabsorption syndrome, patients that have increased in skin pigmentation, so African-Americans, extremely high risk because even when they're outdoors, they're walking around with a sun protection factor of at least eight. That means they're reducing their ability to make vitamin D in their skin by more than 90% wearing sunscreen all the time, avoiding all direct sun exposure are just some of the causes. We also know that aging decreases the ability of your skin to make vitamin D, but we showed that even elderly, if they get outside for about 10 or 15 minutes of arms and legs a couple of times a week, is still enough to satisfy their body's requirement. Unless you're in Chicago. No, I mean, seriously, there are areas of the country that you don't get sun, and I wonder if there have been studies that look at geographically differences in in vitamin D? There have been studies, and you'll be surprised at the results, but it's not a surprise to me. With the message of sun protection, avoiding all direct sun exposure that's been out there unchallenged for 30 years, even in Florida, it's been reported that more than 40 to 50 percent of Floridians, both children and adults, are vitamin D deficient. It's true that if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, you cannot make any vitamin D in your skin in the wintertime, and all the more reason to be aggressive in taking a vitamin D supplement. Let's talk a little bit about how to correct vitamin D deficiency. I've seen a number of protocols for my patients that have very, very low levels, you know, 10, 12, 14. What is your recommendation? So I recommend, and we published this at Lancet back in 1998, that if you give 50,000 units of vitamin D2, which is the only pharmaceutical form of vitamin D in the United States, once a week for eight weeks, 
to a normal weighted individual, you'll usually raise their blood level by 100%, and you'll get them above 30 nanograms per ml. But you don't correct the cause of the vitamin D deficiency. So many of these patients will return in six months D deficient again. So I put them now on 50,000 units of vitamin D2 every other week. And then in between? Nothing in between? Nope, you don't need it. And we showed now, we have six-year data to show that these patients all maintain blood levels above 30, and they're usually between 40 and 60 nanograms per ml. For those that don't want to go to their doctor to get the vitamin D2 capsule or they don't want to take it every two weeks, you can go to your local pharmacy and buy a vitamin D supplement, 1,000 units. To treat D deficiency, I typically recommend taking two to 3,000 units a day for two to three months. And then to prevent recurrence is to take about 1,500 to 2,000 units of vitamin D a day. If you're just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Hollick, the director of the Bone Health Care Clinic and the Heliotherapy Light and Skin Research Center at Boston University Medical Center, and we are discussing the impact of vitamin D deficiency. Dr. Hollick, my understanding is that vitamin D deficiency is now definitively associated with some cancers. Could you please talk about which cancers are associated with vitamin D deficiency and how definitive that association is? Sure. First of all, I'll let your readership know that I wrote a review in New England Journal of Medicine that outlines a lot of the benefits of vitamin D. And also, they can go to my website, vitamindhealth.org. It's all one word. And on there, actually, are the PDFs of many of my articles, including this New England Journal Review. And we know now that you are at increased risk of developing colon, prostate, breast, esophageal cancers, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's probably about 15 cancers have now been associated with vitamin D deficiency. And how significant is that impact? Well, there's evidence to suggest that if you increase your vitamin D intake to at least 1,000 international units of vitamin D a day, that you could reduce your risk of developing colorectal cancer by as much as 50%. There's a study done in the Nurses' Health Study out of Harvard that women taking the most vitamin D reduce their risk of developing breast cancer by about 50%. It's amazing to me that there's not a greater awareness of this because this is significant and you don't hear much about it. That's correct. And in fact, there was a the Women's Health Initiative came out, of course, with the conclusion that vitamin D and calcium was of no benefit in reducing risk of colorectal cancer. But what they didn't appreciate from their data set, which I then pointed out to them and published as a letter in New England Journal of Medicine, that women that had a blood level of less than 12 nanograms per ml and followed for eight years had a 253% increased risk of developing colorectal cancer when compared to women that had a blood level of over 20 or 25 nanograms per ml. Well, there are a lot of issues, I think, with that Women's Health Initiative study as we look at it more closely. No question. And also, there was a very nice study done out of Omaha, Nebraska by Dr. Heaney's group, and Lappy had published it showing that postmenopausal women taking 1,100 units of vitamin D a day along with 1,500 milligrams of calcium a day for four years reduced their risk of developing all cancers by 60% compared to women that were not taking the supplement. What about the impact of vitamin D on autoimmune disease? It's always been known that if you live at a higher latitude, especially if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, for the first 10 years of your life, that you increase your risk of developing multiple sclerosis by 100% for the rest of your life. There was a study done in Finland 
where they showed that during the first year of life, children taking 2,000 units of vitamin D a day and then follow for 31 years reduced their risk of type 1 diabetes by 78%. There's evidence that rheumatoid arthritis, women taking the most vitamin D reduced their risk by 44%. And another study done here out of Harvard showed that women taking more vitamin D, more than 400 units a day, reduced their risk of developing multiple sclerosis, again, by about 42%. And what about heart disease? Again, I mean, I know that your listeners may be saying, my God, how could vitamin D be doing all these things? But there's really good science to back up all of this because, for example, we know that vitamin D is now important in regulating cell growth and inhibiting cancer cell growth. We know that vitamin D plays an important role in immune function and decreasing risk of infectious diseases, some of which we believe may be responsible for autoimmune diseases. And the same is true for heart disease. We now know that vitamin D is critically important in regulating heart muscle function and regulating smooth muscle function in your blood vessels and regulating the blood pressure hormone renin. And as a result, it was reported recently that you have a 50% higher risk of having a heart attack if you're vitamin D deficient. You have a more than 100% increased risk of dying of a heart attack, of your first heart attack, if you are vitamin D deficient. You have about a 78% higher risk of having peripheral vascular disease if you're vitamin D deficient. So there is now a clear relationship with vitamin D deficiency and increased risk of heart disease, dying of a heart attack, and even stroke. Could you finally finish by telling us a little bit about your book? The book, The UV Advantage, is for the consumer audience. And in there, though, I'm told because physicians have read it and they like it equally well because I really provide all of these benefits that we've talked about and I explain it in a way that's very understandable. And I have a simple prescription for how to prevent and treat vitamin D deficiency. And at the end of the book, I actually even provide tables for anyone anywhere on the globe, any time of the year for any skin type to be able to be exposed to some sunlight to satisfy their body's vitamin D requirement. But separately, Springer and Humana Press, we published a book that was edited by me on the health benefits of vitamin D that's more geared toward healthcare professionals and physicians, and a new edition will be coming out this year. I would like to thank our guest, Dr. Howard, for making us more aware of the role vitamin D plays not only in metabolic bone disease, but cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and many other medical conditions. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.